Hey, Steve! Hey, Chris! Why are you being so rude? Why aren't you introducing our guest, oh. Steve? I'm sorry. Hey, Seamus! Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> Not even jumping into the gimmick. Okay. <laughs> Combo breaker. Combo breaker. So, yes, this week we have special guest Seamus Young from uh, 20-Sided Tale is the name of the blog. And um, we got just a couple of cool things to talk about today that will take a decent amount of time. Um, before we get into that, I do want to address, because I know some of your uh, some of your readers have commented that they find the background music distracting. So since there's three of us conversing today, it shouldn't have as much white space, white noise kind of a thing. So I will leave the background music out for their listening pleasure. Um, but to start with, while we have you here, Mr. Seamus, let's get right into it. I am one of those ignorant jerks that is not a big fan of the Unreal Engine. I am not a developer. Hmm. I do not know much about engines. I think I know some things, and I have a general gist, but it feels like every time I see the Unreal Engine used, especially in the prior generation and even continuing into this one, it comes with long load times, especially every time you die. It comes with a lot of locked at 30 frames a second, and it comes with a lot of texture popping. So you don't get a lot of good performance while even the visuals are hampered for at least a little while. It seems like this is probably an easier engine to develop for, but not the best optimized out there despite its pretty visuals. Whereas every time I saw the MT Framework Engine by Capcom, you would consistently have gorgeous visuals, quicker load times depending on the game, and upwards of 60 frames a second depending on the type of game that they are making. And this is starting to continue with Resident Evil, um, with the Resident Evil Engine, the RE Engine by Capcom, where like Devil May Cry 5 even on the base PS4 and base Xbox One, is hitting 60 frames a second regularly. Um, some of their uh, funny, like Monster Hunter Rise is running on a Nintendo Switch, and even though it's locked at 30 frames a second, this is one underpowered machine that right. is achieving great visuals and open environments with particle effects all around and giant monsters moving very quickly. Um, so it's like... Capcom has made these great engines, and I've always wished that they would enter and become competition to Unreal. They, they could be like, here's our engine. It actually works on multiple forms, because I didn't even mention on MT Framework. Greatest visuals on the Nintendo 3DS. And again, underpowered hardware that, in that case, also needed to create two images to get that 3D effect. So you have like double the rendering going on. So they make these incredible, well-running engines that, from my perspective, are really fine-tuned and are just better than Unreal Engine, and yet they've never, like, tried to market it, sell it, license it out. And is that partially because, like, you've written in the past, I'm sorry, I'm going really big with this. Um, Seriously. 
But you've written in the past about Bethesda, right? And how people say they need to make a brand new engine. And you're like, well, here's all the problems with that. Here's the logistics because they've got all these modifications to the engine that covers all these bases. And if they start from scratch, that they are actually reducing features, reducing familiarity with that engine. So uh, not just that, if, if I could add to that, it's when you look at how their development process works, how they fix, but how they fail to fix bugs. Yes. It's very like, they're like, okay, this bug is fixed and it's, you know, fixed for 5% of the people and worse for everyone else. And it's very clear. They have a terrible QA flow. Their entire cycle is Ter- like this isn't a technology problem this is a company culture problem work isn't properly reviewed it's they don't prioritize you know everybody's like all oh, these horrible broken things and they're like hey we fixed that one particle effect that looks screwy like there's no priorities to when they fix bugs and my main concern if they made another engine they would they're still going to use the same people and the same process. So they would just build, you know, the problem is they've got a falling apart shack now because they built it without measuring. They just eyeballed everything, right? The problem is they would just build another building by eyeballing everything and not measuring. That's their problem. And they might even forget the nails. Right, exactly. (laughs) They'll be duct taped together this time. So... So not only would you be giving up all the features of their current engine, but then we'd have all the problems. All the quality quality control issues, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what they need is a cultural overhaul. Like, somebody needs to know, how do we track bugs in a coherent way? How do we confirm they've been fixed? Do we have a suite of machines that we tested on? Or does the programmer just tested on their machine and go yeah looks looks good i played for five minutes and i don't think it's a problem anymore like that's fine if you're an indie and you're working alone that's not fine if you're bethesda so my concern with bethesda is just that their their development culture is super bad well maybe it'll be better now that they've been bought out who bought them again Uh, oh Oh. oh, that's too bad. Oh. So yeah, yeah. I think I think what it, part of what it boils down to um, is also the so I like um, maybe about fifteen <laughs> years ago I was really big into the Linux community, free open source, all that kind of stuff, and you know we were always kind of like trying to get different developers to open source old games or old engines or port games to Linux and other stuff. And one of the factors, and I don't know if this is going to be a factor with Capcom is, is basically the the gist we got from, from different places was um, there's like, this is not built in a way that the community is going to be able to do anything with it that, you know, so we did a great, you know, our internal developers are amazing wizards with this thing. We have no documentation. Uh, we have, 
no way for anybody else to use this outside of, you know, these handful of guys at, you know, internally who, who can do this. So we could open source this engine. Um, and it would, you guys would be better off just building your own engine than trying to, you know, work with our documentationless, uh, sort of like impossible for anyone who hasn't been immersed in it since its creation to use engine more or less. So I wonder if if some of that has to do with the, the situation too, where unreal engine might have some issues, um, but it's, you know, it's well-documented it's uh, design. It's easier to use. It's, you know, cross platform and all these other things. It's designed um, for someone to just go in and be able to start making levels immediately, kind of a thing. Right. I mean, yeah. More. There's a yeah. There's going to be a, a lower learning curve, um, and you're going to be able to do more with it with less lead-in time, essentially. So my first thing that I found curious. You you said that most Unreal games are locked at 30 frames a second. I didn't notice that on console they are. Interesting. Um, I'm the only, like one of the only games this generation, and this is also, I'm thinking of like the Xbox 360 and PS3. That's where most of my distaste for the Unreal Engine comes from. Cause even like Gears of War, where it's on the machine, like hardware, it is built for an Xbox, right? And its performance right. is like, it looks gorgeous for the most part, but it's locked at 30 frames a second kind of a deal. And it's, got all these texture poppins and other things and every time you die it's like a decently lengthy loading screen to wait through and this is also because i'm thinking back to i started playing shooters really with halo combat evolved and one of the beautiful things of that is if you die you have like two seconds to see master chief's dead body a grunt a grunt shout something like i get his gun and then you're right back to where you were no loading screen nothing just right Right. back there and it always made me wonder, like, what is the game doing in Unreal Engine? Like, is it every time you die, it is reloading the level into memory? Like, does it start from scratch every time you die? I've or- wondered, I've had the same question for years. How have you engineered this thing? And it might be because Unreal is so generalized. You know, if you know ahead of time, okay, we're building a shooter. Here's the constraints we have on that shooter. You're not going to, like go to the second level do you know it's not like bios shock or system shock where you'll do something in area a go to b and then go back to a you know you're going through linear levels right so that gives you a free okay we know as soon as you exit a level we can throw all that out and that makes your saving and loading system way simpler unreal doesn't know what you're gonna do so maybe in order to be safe, it has to reload everything because it doesn't know specifically, you know, what kind of game are you making? I don't know. I'll just throw everything away just to be safe. So that does sound like an engine level thing because I've never known if that's engine level or just developer level. It's it's hard. And it depends on the engine, really. I mean, uh, Unity has has a way to serialize huge blocks of data and you could use that to make your save system totally workable i actually hate it i don't like it i don't trust (laughs) it because i'm not always sure what to and so i handcraft my saving system meaning it only saves what it absolutely needs to where 
if you use the built-in one, it's going to be kind of spammy and just save a whole bunch of state at once. And maybe you don't need half of it, or maybe you don't even need 90% of it, but like, hey, it's one line of code instead of, you know, pages of code. So, hell with it. <laughs> and okay. you just use the yeah. built-in one. It depends I mean, on the engine. Another thing with just thinking about a lot of modern game design is I wonder if some of that has to do with the number of variables that you have in an environment as well as sort of trying to prevent save game related glitches too. Um, where, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of like, um, I can't even think of specific examples, but I know I've played games before where I've died and gone back to a checkpoint but then you know after doing this two or three times one of the times none of the enemies respawn right uh, on on my way to the because whatever optimization was happening to make my reload time faster it it we we missed a case somewhere and so now nothing nothing respawned and maybe like a key item that I needed to get from an enemy also didn't respawn along with the enemies. So now I've got a suicide to get the reload, to get the state back and all that other kind of stuff where I, I wonder how many developers where it's not a hundred percent of limitation of the engine. It's a combination of the engine limitation and a design choice by the developers to say, to avoid this case we're just going to reload the whole thing from scratch. Okay. Right. I'm Especially thinking... with bigger open world games, larger environments, and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know. Yeah, because I'm even thinking, like, I didn't play Quake 2, because you did mention ID Tech Engine itself. And I didn't play Quake 2 until I was in college, which, for me, <laughs> was around 2005-ish, 2006-ish, like, Oh, wow. Roughly, approximately 10 years after Quake 2 would have released. That was my yeah. first time playing, and I had a blast. I was really surprised at how much I really liked Quake 2. But one of the things I remember is, like, quick save and quick load is instant. Like, yeah. quick load is just what it says, quick load. Like, you just go right back to where you last saved. And that's one of those things where it's like, even back then... I don't know how they were saving the data, but it feels like what they were saving was positioning data kind of a thing. Right. They're um, just saving the the state of all the dudes and the level and the stuff on the ground. And it's not worrying about geometry where another game will be like, okay, let me just... It doesn't know the difference between loading the game from the main menu where you have yeah. to load everything and loading the game when you're already on the level and it just needs to load the, the entities around the level. Yeah. And of course, that's a huge difference. And yeah, taking the the easiest approach to that as a programmer, you just load everything every time. But yeah, that makes everybody wait 30 seconds. Yeah. And now with solid state drive, it gives people an excuse to not even care about that anymore. Right. Uh, to kind of back up, there are so we kind of skipped over some other concerns with um with using, let's say, Capcom's engine. That maybe you didn't consider. Capcom's a Japanese company, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I, I've downloaded S Source before, and all the comments were in Japanese, and that's that's a terrifying proposition. It's like I 
okay, this is well-written documented code, but it's still useless to me. And then, is there any documentation? Oh, wait, that's probably written in Japanese too. Well, all right, we've paid them to license this engine. Let me call them up and ask them the question I have. Oh, wait, I don't speak Japanese, and the only people that can answer my question don't speak English. Is there, so that's a, is there precedent for localizing engine documentation and commentary like yeah. right i mean that happens when you become an engine company you know you, you, if you're unreal if you're maintaining id tech then you kind of have staff dedicated to that but if capcom suddenly decided oh we'll just it's not as easy as just like you know zipping up the source code and sending it over to another problem you'll run into is Oh, yeah, we have this engine here, but oh, wait, our sound code is licensed from a third party. Mm. You'll have to get a license from them. Oh, wait, we're using this tool. Oh, you, you'll, you'll need SpeedTree if, even if you're not using it because we compile against it. And, or you can, you know, go through the code and edit thousands of lines to remove all the references to it, even if you don't need it. <laughs> so okay. there's a lot of crap like that they could come up to bite you so even okay so that that is actually two very good considerations because right now unreal like epic is doing localization i guess you would call it like documentation for foreign markets because like square enix right Mm -hmm. more of their companies are using the unreal engine um link's awakening on the nintendo switch was developed in unreal engine um so even Nintendo was using the second Unreal Engine. Oh, the most important the most important one, I should have put this one on the list first, is let's say right now Capcom gives away the, what's it called, the MT framework? That was the previous one, yeah. Yeah, give it away. It's free, open source, MIT license. Anybody can use it. You, if you're an indie, you could use But the first question you got to ask yourself is, What's the tool chain like? What do we do? We use Blender. What's your level mm. editor? Do you have? Does it come with one? Can we use one, or is it tied to you know some obscure tools? And do are there people in the industry that we can hire that know how to use this specific tool chain? Mm. Right, like you know, here's mm. the tools you use to import a model. Here's how you rig a skeleton. Here's how you create a cutscene. Here's how you animate the bodies. Here's the tools we use to um, right. I- import mocap stuff. All of that is per engine. And if you can't hire people that are, are already familiar because they all live in, um, you know, Tokyo or whatever, then then you no matter how good it is, you won't be able to unlock its potential. Right. Whereas with something like Unreal Engine, if you're a Western developer. You can probably find people who have worked with, you know, all four iterations of Unreal Engine since 2000. You know, you can find them in droves, probably. So I've been fiddling around with Unreal Engine stuff since 98, I think. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I, I wrote some Unreal script back in 2000 three i wrote a whole bunch i wrote a bunch of mods didn't save any of them <laughs> they're all gone were but, they saved yeah. on floppy disk or even better no I, they were actually were you know they were on a hard drive but you know uh, what was i on windows vista back then or 
Oh, not in 1998, but... Windows XP Professional, probably. Right, right. Well, I'm thinking 2003 is when I wrote oh, okay. the Unreal script. Yeah, that would have been XP. That would have been uh, XP Professional. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's funny because uh, the first time I tried to dabble in the level editor and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, Aliens vs. Predator 2 came with the level editor. Uh, that was Monolith, I believe was the name of the studio. And I remember trying to mess with it and be like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I just gave up. Um, yeah, I uh, actually, so, I did create some Doom maps, like the original Doom, Doom maps and mods in the mid 90s. Uh, but I and I tried to mess with some Unreal stuff, but it was over my head at that point. So that's that's me dating myself. Right. I I remember back in the mid 90s, it didn't ship their stuff with level editors. So somebody else made the hammer editor. And yeah. at the time, I was that was like, it, wow. the hammer editor. Yeah, and I was like, "Wow, this is really bad." <laughs> like literally, I was thinking <laughs> there weren't that many in the world, and I all I had a low opinion of it anyway. <laughs> and then it's twenty five years later, and it my son is using the hammer editor to make stuff for Source Two, and it looks the same. <laughs> <laughs> It even looks like a Windows 98 application. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. So that, that actually does answer some of my... Because I was expecting it to be more about, like, the genre element. Like, can you... Because I, I remember, like, again, talking about EA and Frostbite, where in order to make a game that's not a first-person shooter, Bioware and all the other departments were... Uh, we're like, uh, oh, well, now we have to program this and this because the game's not designed for like something as right. simple, I guess, as like hit detection from a third person camera as opposed to a first person camera. Like stuff like that's like a new consideration for the engine that they got to program. Um, wow. I think that was something that they mentioned. I don't know. Like I there was a lot of stuff that was out there. Like and that's just like the first thing that comes off the top of my head is like difficulties you might run into because it's like, how does it render the body kind of a thing like what's taking the hit the camera or the character model like i don't know right well it's probably when they say hit detection they probably mean the player shooting at stuff on the screen mm. <clears throat> like by default too. yeah by default it wants to draw a line between the player position and the mouse cursor but of course if you're in a third person view you don't want to do that That'll be that'll give you a wrong answer. Yeah, <laughs> and you'll be hitting things that be like, wait, I'm not pointing at that at all. <laughs> yeah, and and so, but that should be okay. That should be a very easy thing to fix. I mean, there's already one solution in there. You just need to change the starting position. But I can see how you get tripped up on things like that. Oh, here's a thing. You know, check hit detection. Okay, I'll just use that, and then. You spend the next week tearing your hair out because it works like 75% of the time. <laughs> you know, if there's some, if the space between the camera and the bad guy's head is open, but the it's blocked from the character to the bad guy's head, then even though it looks open to the player, they'll be hitting a wall or something. And right. they'll get all confused. Yeah, yeah. But or it'll be hard to track down and realize, oh, this, this doesn't, <laughs> this doesn't have enough code to do what we want. Or, or, like, you don't even know if behind the scenes, like, maybe Dante's guns in Devil May Cry are actually just a sword 
with a, you know, that hits with a hitbox that's whatever, so ever many pixels removed from the the character. You know, like that kind of stuff yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. shows oh. up where you just, yeah. Oh, yeah, you've got a sword, <laughs> sword gun, and it just for one frame extends the sword's hitbox like, a mile <laughs> and then sees if it crashes in it. I mean, I could see somebody oh taking that gosh. shortcut. I could see somebody taking that shortcut and like, oh, it totally works. And then oh and then you goodness. try to make some other kind of game and you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. But that's the thing because empty like Capcom, because it's their engine, they're able to be like, all right, we're gonna use this for we're going to use this for a fighting game. So, you know, our Marvel vs. Capcom 3 is going to use the empty framework engine. Our third-person shooters are going to. Our open-world monster-hunting RPGs are going to. Even our Phoenix Wright visual novel-style courtroom drama games are going to use this framework. <laughs> so it's like they're clearly able to um, modify this engine for whatever kind of genre they need. But that was like my big thing. Like, what does it take to build an engine for more broad purposes? But it seems like that broad purpose includes, you know, are there licensed physics engine stuff going on with this? Is there a licensed sound engine? Is there licensed? So all of those considerations as well go into it, which means maybe, maybe one day they can have that team. Because I would love to right. see it. I would love to see because mm-hmm. they're great engineers, man. They they know how to build an engine. I can't speak to this specifically. I've never noticed this. I It turns out I don't play that many games with the Unreal Engine that I notice. <laughs> really? I mean, I'm sure I don't. I do. But these days, I don't know. I, I haven't been like, oh, another Unreal Engine game. Well, well, part of it is I'm PC. I'm um almost always PC only, so I don't run yeah. into the thirty frame a second caps. Yeah, I'm moving the, to more PC myself, and it is going to become less of a. Especially now, I've got a solid state drive. It's like moving over to a play my PlayStation is like, oh man, this is terrible. Right, I but miss my I solid could, state drive. <laughs> like, right, if I could play devil's advocate for the um Unreal Engine, um, wouldn't you? Offer an engine broad. Let me see if I can think of a good good example. Okay, uh, uh, Unity is a great example. Unity has almost zero barrier to entry. Anybody can download Unity. Anybody can go through those first five tutorials and make a thing. You know, make a a third person game where the player is a capsule that walks around on a plane. You know, just yeah. like baby's first thing. That you can you can do that in under an hour, and because of that, lots of people do, and a lot of those people are terrible. Yeah, and I've, so I've heard a lot of bad stories about Unity games, kind of a thing. Right, and it's, but the problem isn't that Unity itself is bad. I mean, you, there's a lot of things you can criticize about unity but it's not like unity is automatically garbage it's that being available to people of all skill levels you'll notice holy cow there's a lot of garbage on unity i guess this engine must be terrible and it's no it's just so easy to use that 
um, lots and <laughs> lots of people. M- meanwhile, a really great engine that costs millions of dollars. Well, only skilled professionals get their hands on it. So you don't have a bunch of garbage games cluttering up. So you never see the garbage version of that MT framework engine. If the Mm. MT framework was available to everybody, you'd see a lot of, you know, 15 year old kids trying to make their own counter strike with it. And it's just, you know, a big pile of brokenness and cringe. (laughs) This is, this is true at the same time. Microsoft released a port of the original Gears of War, a remaster, I guess you could say, for the Xbox One. And on Xbox One X, which is their beefed up Xbox One, probably the best until the P- before the PS5 and Xbox Series came out, Xbox One X was the best console hardware on the market. And yet, okay. Ultimate Gears of War was still locked to 30 frames a second for the campaign. So I'm sitting here like cool. wondering, it's like, is it the engine or is it just the developers? Uh, like, it, it might be that the developers knowing that, okay, Gears of War is Xbox exclusive, right? Yes. Okay. So back in the day when they wrote the original game, they were like, well, we know we're going to be locked at 30 frames a second. We can save a lot of time if we're, oh, we're going to have, actually, we're going to have a handy Oh, what? Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The original Gears of War did get a port to PC, but it was games for Windows Live. Um, and it is Ultimate Gears of War, uh, or Gears of War Ultimate, the, the the port, is also on PC. I'm sorry, it is also I, on I, PC. I wonder if it's locked to 30 frames a second there. I would imagine not, but I haven't tested it, because the AI right. is also broken in that port. Like in, when I made Good Robot. I decided the game was going to be locked at 60 frames a second. You can't change that at all. It runs at 60 frames a second, right? Yep. It might skip rendering a frame, but it's not going to... If you've got a 144 hertz monitor, it will not at all go up to that. And this was a 2D um, side-scroller, so I was like, who cares? All right, I already know I've got this awesome 60 hertz clock to run on. Rather than make two different systems of timing and keep them in sync, oh, this this physics engine is going to run at 30 over here, and then the rendering at 60 over here, and then the updates will be like whenever over here. I was just like, fine, everything will run on that clock. Meaning, if you went in and modified the game to unlock the frame rate, the game would just run faster. (laughs) The bullets would move faster. Oh my goodness. This is, now, what, this is what From right. Software did with, like, the original Dark Souls and stuff. Exactly. And that's, yeah, and that's <laughs> also possible. That's why, if that's what they did for the first Gears of War, they're like, hey, we're locked at 30 frames a second. Let's just put everything on that clock. It's a huge time saver for us. It's just way easier. But then, you know, even though we've got the power, we could, ru- we could run the game at, you know, like 144 hertz now. No, Nobody... Nobody wants to, like, go in and change all that timing code. Right. You've got to rewrite the whole yeah. physics engine and everything else right. to match. And so, right, it just becomes a waste when all we want is better textures and 4K resolution or whatever. Right. Oh, my goodness. Uh, no, that's a no-no. And I admit that I did a no-no. And I knew 
it was a no-no when I did it. But, you know, it was a, it was an indie experiment that I was just writing for fun. So yeah, I, I still don't feel guilty about it. <laughs> so do, do you do you feel like that was the most efficient tactics available oh, for no. making a game at that time? <laughs> I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> so, so most efficient tactics available. Before the show, you you told me uh, that's. That's what Meta stood for with somebody. This is somebody, evidently like how people have defined it. When I looked it up online, this was like the definition given. And all I knew, like, there, there's only a few ways I heard of The first time I heard metagaming was tabletop related. And it meant, right. you know, making decisions out of character. Um, right. So my my suspect, my suspicion is that this is a backronym where Meta backronym. has. Yeah, it's like we had the word Meta. And then somebody tried to attach meaning to that to to apply because like no that's my suspicion as well right because it's like when you're metagaming you're playing the game about the game when you have metadata it's data about the data like the photograph I took is the data and what camera I used and when I took the picture is the metadata and your geolocation right oh yeah and my geolocation. And the last four digits of my phone number yeah. is, a, is, is the metadata, right? Yep. So metagaming is sort of like, okay, there's the rules of the game. And then the metagame on top of that is everybody's understanding of like, oh, I found this strategy that nobody can counter. So I begin using it. So everybody else begins using it. And then somebody figures out how to counter it. And then everybody counters it. So somebody else comes up, you know, and it's this ever-evolving thing. And that's the metagame. It's the game about the game. And that's the thing. Like, what you said about the rules there is, like, for me, and this is one of my issues with, like, this definition thing, as I wrote in my email, is, like, once upon a time, it's, like, the game rules are just the rules, right? It's, like, how you play the game and all the tactics available. That's just the basic rules of the game. That's the design of it. That's how it's done. And everything else was exploits. You would find exploits right. to the game. It's kind of like the American law system. Um, but it's like all exploits. <laughs> or the tax to code. It. It's, the, yeah. it's the tax code. Yeah. It's like it's all about finding, you know, the exploits to the system. And yet there's – the reason why this topic comes up is because – because it's one of those things where for me and Steve, it's like destiny. Destiny is always this thing that we come back to. And as of late, argue about in part because it's like, I feel like I'm done with it. I don't, I'll probably go back at some point, but right now I just don't. Um, and I feel like in the past, he's, he's chewed me and our friend out about the meta and having to play the meta and, you know, what happens when you don't play the meta. And evidently the meta has changed on me because the first time he was right. chewing me out about it, I had to have Orpheus rigs with my, the, the Orpheus rig boots with my Night Stalker class and using a very specific, uh, super ability. But now that's not the meta anymore because they changed the meta. Now it's got to be this and that instead. And so would so- you say that the developers, are very reactive. Like if everybody starts using a, a single strategy, they either nerf it or they try and boost the other stuff. Or do they just sort of leave it alone? And this is players just 
figuring out better and better strategies over time. Oh no, they're very reactive. This to is it. this is developed and in the case of Destiny, I think this is what makes the discussion interesting is so if you if you go back 20, 25 or even more years, right, you have um you know, I, I say Final Fantasy 6, right? Um so you have these crazy strategies um using, you know, go-go and Genji gloves or whatever else you have that like you can, you know, just completely slaughter everything with very minimal effort. Is this PvP setup? Or, or I'm talking about in, in a PvE example on this. Yeah, case. Final Fantasy VI. Okay, in Final Fantasy VI, yeah. Yeah. Um, but essentially, the developers can never patch that. That's just the way, or they could patch it, but the, that's just basically the way the game is. Um, you right. know, as we move into, you know, and any RPG, you can kind of come up with, like you, like Chris said, there's there's a difference between using using things correctly. Um, you know, in in Final Fantasy, oh, go, go back oh, to something like Final Fantasy example. One. Like I got a perfect example. Par- go um, because Seamus, you wrote about Final Fantasy Ten, and you right. discussed Blitzball. Imagine writing your opinion, like your feelings for about that first Blitzball game, and you you lose the Blitzball game, with which most players do. But then you have people in the comments that are like, "You scrub! How could you not use this optimal strategy that you somehow right. did not know your first time playing the game?" That's what right. this stuff feels like to me. Only. Then you have other people in the comments that are like, no, 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 those tactics weren't like ve- that. That was the meta back in this time frame. Now the meta is this. Now this right. is how you win the game. Like this is my feeling towards what's happening here, and it's developer and, right. encouraged. Also, so I so I think part of this comes into the idea of of the transition from a you know static games to live service games, right? Where, yep. where you have, so they don't want, they don't want things to get stale essentially, or for things to be, um, you know, whatever game it is, whether it's Fortnite or, or Call of Duty, what's the Call of Duty, like, whatever the latest PUBG, one is, I don't know. PUBG or whatever, whatever else it is, they are constantly shifting. So Fortnite rotates weapons in and out every season. Um, and so there are combinations, there are meta loadouts, essentially, that if you can get this shotgun, this assault rifle, etc., uh, you know, right. you're, you're going to, those are the weapons which are the most effective. Um, but then, you know, Epic will rotate out the most meta shotgun for one season and the most meta assault rifle for the others for the next season to mix it up. Uh, in the same way... Bungie with Destiny is they've sort of taken a tactic of if something becomes overpowering, they leave it for their duration of their sort of three month season. Um, and then they work on balancing it. So, right. um, so something like, like in at one phase in Destiny, the most super, your super abilities and exotics, which allowed either you either allowed you to continue the super indefinitely, 
uh, for like roaming ones where you would have or would allow you to quickly recharge it for sort of one shot ultimate abilities were what was meta that you wanted to have this exotic paired with this super you wanted to try to hit as many enemies as possible with it and then you'd get the super back instantly and then you could use it again on another huge group of enemies or use it to melt a boss or or whatever it was and so because it's a live service game and they're constantly adding new content and they want you to constantly be engaged they nerfed all of your exotic armor that provided those sorts of benefits oh. to your super or ultimate attacks. And then basically left it up to the players to figure out, okay, well, what is meta now? And that's sort of been the story of Destiny for the last, I'd say, two years or so. Is every every couple months, and we figured out, so, um, you know, last year... Late, late last year was Swords. Uh, they introduced a sword called Falling Guillotine that would basically just melt anything and everything. When you say late last us, year, do you mean 2019? Uh, 2020. It was 2020, okay. Yeah, it was, it was like sort of mid to late 2020. And it would destroy everything all the time, always. And they let us have fun with it for a few months. And then they like, you know, reduced its damage by 25%. Uh, or something like that, you know. Oh, uh, <laughs> and well, this stinks so, too because it's also like this isn't just PvP content; it's impacting, it's, it's impacting in, right. the PVE element as well. Right, right, right. Like said, so, like I, I've been grinding for this gun for months. I finally get it, and then a few weeks later, it gets nerfed, and I'm like, well, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> right. Or a few it's, years it's, later, I guess discontinued or something, because that they've done caps with that with guns too, and it's, vaulted right. content. It's yeah, it's ugh. it's right. interesting when you have a PvP system that does this. I've been watching StarCraft matches lately, hmm. and um, I don't know how Blizzard is doing these days. I haven't been following the meta 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 game, <laughs> um, like what the developers are doing. But I remember back in the day, there'd be some, some, somebody would come up with a new strategy. Hey, I'll use this, this unit really early in the game and they win. And so everybody copies that. Oh, oh and then, you know, other players start screaming about it. Oh, this is imbalanced. This is, they win. We can't figure out how to stop it. it this strategy wins every time. And Blizzard wouldn't immediately, you know, the, the temptation is, whoop, that's too strong. We gotta, we've got to nerf it. But you don't want to change the rules too often. Like imagine in football matches, every match they like change the size of the field. Football got a little bigger. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> they were constantly like screwing with the rules. It would make people really just... it. It would irritate, especially like the audience. They're like, well, wait, what, why, why do you keep changing the rules of the game? We can't follow it. I mean, they kind of um, do but, it every year anyway. It's kind of funny you say that. <laughs> right. But instead, they sort of sit back and watch for a while. And they watch long trends. You know, the developers watch long trends. And, you know, if there is something that endures for a long time, then they'll step in and patch it. But maybe somebody will figure out a way to counter it and that'll get shut down. And you have to wait for a while to see, is this a balance issue or is this just part of the ever-evolving metagame? Yeah. And, 
And I appreciate that patience. Although if you're on the bad side of it, if you're like, oh no, I got matched with a Protoss player. I know he's going to do this one thing and crush me. And I don't know how to beat it. Like that sucks. That makes you not want to log in. But I appreciate the not being hyper reactive to things that could just be temporary disruptions. Well, you bring up two interesting things there because it makes me, on the first point, it makes me think of Smash Brothers. And even ever since Smash Brothers has gone online, the balance tweaking and patches have been interesting because they're kind of minimalistic from what I can tell. They don't do a lot of major overhauling because this is a community that is obsessed with their tier lists. Like, fighting games all have their tier lists. These are top-tier characters. These are bottom-tier characters. And in my old apartment, me and my friend, who we like, we just played this game for fun, he had a friend, though, that paid attention to those tier lists and would say stuff like, oh, why are you playing that character? They're bottom-tier. But it's like you go into the tournaments and you will see really good players take that bottom-tier character and wipe the floor with top-tier characters because... It's partially about skill and it's learning, all right, this character has these vulnerabilities, but once I am aware of these vulnerabilities and know that player's, well, that character's vulnerabilities, I can take advantage of that. So you see the really good players will still rise to the top regardless of these tier lists. And so you don't have that much patching or nerfing or any of that. It's not that reactive. And on the other note... um, my brain has already forgotten that you mentioned. Uh, what did you want that again? <laughs> I was talking about they waited a while before they put out patches. patches. And oh, the seeing uh, pro- that's actually okay. So seeing a Protoss player, knowing exactly what they're going to do. That, of course, is also one of the things for me that like that's again, like why this idea of the meta ruins a game for me, because like right now. I'm doing a new game plus of Bloodborne. And in the Dark Souls and Dark Souls style games, when you do a new game plus, yes, you carry over your levels and gear, but the enemies then get harder. And I'm starting to learn like, okay, if I'm fighting the Bloodstarved Beast, I really got to care about the poison resistance on my equipment. If I'm fighting... um, this enemy, uh, the Dark Beast Parl, I got to really boost that shock defense on my equipment before I go in and fight him. And I like that because it's like, it is like you have to pay attention and keep swapping your gear, but it's not like, it's not focused on like, what are you doing? You're not using this weapon and this character class and doing this. It's, it's, it's all about, even though I'm reducing the damage taken, I still need to observe the enemy patterns. I got to know when to dodge. I got to know to be careful not to agree with my attacks. And in the end, and also find out that even though you can assist, you can call AI assistance, they're actually, they actually make it harder because every AI, every, every participant in a battle increases the, enemy health exponentially so it's better to go in solo in new game plus because you reduce the enemy health that much and your ai companion they're not really powered up much i think they got more health but it's not significant and they do not do a lot of damage so what you effectively do is double the enemy health just so someone else can draw aggro and they can't draw aggro very long so i'm like 
experiencing the game in, in a bit more new of a fresh way, my skills and my ability to dodge and understand everything, like that's still tested, but I don't need to use a specific weapon. I don't need to use right. a specific build. Right. Well, well, so, but that's, that's again, the idea of, I think there's different levels of the meta, as I've heard you complain about it, where there are probably, maybe not, maybe that I'm wrong, but there are probably like certain very flexible, very powerful weapons and builds in Bloodborne that, you know, you can watch, you know, top tier players completely destroy everything um, with that build. Right. Yeah. Oh, I've watched people that are like speedrunners for the game, and most of it is exploits. Most of it is actually exploits and less about the build, though there are build elements to it as, w- as well. Um, most of it is like figuring out, okay, where can you glitch through the wall kind of a thing? How can you right. like, yeah. if you log out of the game, like... Yeah, that's the, kind of different. That's like you were talking about the other day, the uh, the Mega Man pause exploit yes. on the Yellow Devil. Yeah. yeah. yeah right. stuff What's like the that. Mega Man... What's the Mega Man pause exploit? So do you um, have you played the? I think it's the original Mega Man that has the yellow. Oh no, 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 no. So there's an enemy called the Yellow Devil in the original. Yeah, I think it's the original Mega Man. Um, yeah. I don't think it's Mega Man Two. Um, it's you might have seen. It's just kind of like this big yellowish body with arms and like a single eye. But what okay. it does it takes is up like half the screen. Yeah, it takes up right. half yeah. the screen, and then after it launches an attack. You have a very short window to hit it before it starts teleporting across the screen. And when it does, it teleports like chunk by chunk that you have to dodge or you get hit by. And it's very difficult. But um, there are people that act as if you can't beat the Yellow Devil without a pause glitch where if you equip the electricity attack from one of the bosses and you shoot it, you then pause and unpause really quick. And every time you unpause, even though the beam hasn't really moved, it counts as another damage hit on the Yellow Devil. Whereas if you played normally, it would only hit maybe once. Oh, oh so it's basically the same as the pause glitch from Doom 2016. I am unaware Wait. of this. Okay, you're fighting the Cyber Demon. You launch your BFG at him. And right when it's right, you know, it's going to go by. You you shoot it so that you miss. But, you know, it does continuous damage as it flies through the air, just for anybody. So you wait until it's, like, right beside him, and then you pause the game. But it's still active. And you can see it's still lowering his health, even though the game is paused. Holy crap. (laughs) Right? Is this only if it's doing, like, you don't want it to hit the guy. You can do it. You can hit him, but then you need to pause just before it hits him. The point is you want to pause it when it's close to him. And doing that continuous line of sight damage. Interesting. You pause so, it and you just watch his health bar just oh takes my gosh. You know, two, two, three seconds. Uh, then you just release it and he falls over so, dead. So, it's hilarious. Again, I think I think we're talking about here though is the difference between something where so an exploit and figuring right, out this is the definitely optimum way to play the game by the rules. Well, oh, I wanted to share a video with you guys, and I forgot to. There's a YouTuber named Voland, and he mostly covers the um, the Total War games. But I watched one of these videos with my brother because he's a big strategy game nut. 
um, Europa Universalis, uh, Hearts of Iron Four, Stellaris. He loves the Paradox games. Um, he's really digging Empire of Sin right now, uh, and he like he he grew up on all of these different things, and he actually really liked your um, Civilization piece, uh, Seamus, which I also did share that with Steve, because I meant to bring that up as well when it came to the wide versus tall. All right. But um, my brother, like, he really loved the earlier Total War games, but after a while, they've started to develop them in a way that it's much more, like, they give units, like, hit points instead of making it, like, soldier by soldier. It's far more... I hate to use the term, but gamey. Um, and again, like I hate to use the term. I play video games because they're games. Like, but when it comes to the simulationist expression of the original games, they've reduced that down to being more palatable mechanics. And in one of these videos, the guy Volan spoke with a man that was like a big speedrunner. You know, did a lot of um. Stuff in Doom 2016 specifically, where if you watch this guy play, he, it's like he knows the spawn points that the demons are going to pop out at. Like he, right, so he snap, he just snap aims there and like yeah. fires a rocket just as you know the, the those poor monsters, yeah. man. They just in the middle of spawning, you get blown up. I could just see all the monsters are there screaming, "This is bullshit." Yeah. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, like. That guy, that Doom player, was cited by the Doom Eternal developers who were like, we saw this guy's videos and we designed Doom Eternal so you would feel like that. Like, that. that's basically, it's like you would play like that guy. So we want everyone to play playing our game to feel like that guy. Right. Well, Voland, right, so. Voland interviewed that guy. And that guy was like, I actually don't like Doom Eternal. I think they made it a worse game because I had... <laughs> the thing is, it's like the reason why he was able to get that way of Doom 2016 is because he had the freedom to play the game in such a style that he found that gameplay, right? That he found right. that method for himself. That's why he loved Doom 2016. But then by designing Doom Eternal so specifically for this style of play, it removed that freedom. And it made it more, and this is again, like this was something that I meant to share with you guys. Cause again, it goes into, cause my thing with the whole Bungie and D Destiny conversation in the meta, cause it's not just Bungie. Cause I imagine this has happened as well in MMOs, but with this whole live service game model, you're seeing what just happened with Doom Eternal. They created a game design that was just focused on let's make a fun game. And this guy happened to play in a way that's really impressive, really awesome, but it's because he had the freedom to find that gameplay. And then right. and now everybody has to play that. Has to play. And that's right. the thing, like Doom Eternal, especially because I even on PC, I use a controller. I find it more comfortable than mouse and keyboard. So I'm Okay, we can still to, be friends. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I'm trying to, so I'm trying to play Doom Eternal with a controller, and I know that, like, like I used I'm to have arguments all right the time. Now. Oh, please, you don't even play on a computer anymore. I know. I, I only reason I use a controller is because I play ninety nine percent of my games on console. Like, if ah. I had the option to play anything, any shooter, mouse keyboard over a controller, I'd be playing mouse keyboard. But regardless of comfort, like I, I, I'm willing to recognize that, yes, technically the controller is less precise 
I just find it more comfortable to play on. It is a more comfortable device for me, but that's the downside of Doom Eternal. Doom 2016, I never felt hampered by the controller. Doom 2016, there is no way to change the button mapping to be more efficient for me because I will always lose something. It is designed with a keyboard in mind. It is designed for people on a PC in mind. And that is just one of many factors that I was like, Doom Eternal is just not for me. Like Doom Eternal has a very specific audience in mind. And that's where it's like, again, it's like this whole meta thing. It's like where you are designing your game. Like if Bungie's intent is we want to, because it's a live service game, we want to keep it alive and interesting over, like for every season because we want people to come back. And let's be honest, they want them to come back so they spend money on Eververse. Um so they spend money on expansions and the new seasons and stuff. They're then just constantly changing the options available, the freedom available. So, so you say like minimum. So this is where I'm going to call. This is where Sorry. I'm going to call you out personally, though, because <laughs> because here's the deal: you haven't even finished the Beyond Light campaign, because I wasn't having honestly, that much fun. You could honestly run through the whole thing. With two sidearms and be perfectly fine. Um, as Why would as I you... use these awful guns? <laughs> right, I'm saying. I'm just saying. Like the the in the core game content. Like I literally, I had bounties for sidearm and submachine gun, and I ran through a whole ton of the core content with you know, which is totally. So anybody who plays Destiny would know that you always want to have at least one primary and one special weapon, and you always want to have something that's long range and something that's short range. So you know you'd pair an SMG with a sniper. You'd pair a you know uh, if you if you're using a, an auto rifle or a scout rifle or something, you'd want a shotgun. So, but like anyway, so you're you've you've been complaining 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 about the meta in destiny but you haven't even played a mode where the meta matters in like a year so <laughs> it's it's sort of like in in de like in destiny as an example the the meta game the 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 meta as most efficient tactics available does exist in the high level end game content in raids uh, in the dungeons, in the you know the core game, ninety percent of the game, there is a what I coined as uh, what is it minimum the minimum effective, effective tactics, tactics allowable. allowable, which is you know generally speaking, like I said, have a one primary weapon, have one you know primary being like auto rifle, submachine gun, sidearm. Have one special weapon, like a shotgun, fusion, sniper. Um, and, you know, you use your heavy weapon and your special weapon for bosses and major enemies. You use your primary for ad clear. If you're working with a fire team, you try to have a breadth of abilities. Like somebody has ad clear abilities. Somebody has debuff abilities, etc. Like, you know, just really basic, like you're building an RPG party and you, you wanted to do that. And so, right. While Bungie is constantly shifting aspects of the meta, 
that really only applies to the the 10% and not the 90%, which is all you've played. So when you complain about Bungie and the meta, you're not really <laughs> you don't even actually know what you're complaining about. Well, I think part of it is also because it's just the, it's a problem, and I don't want to get too caught up in Destiny specifically. Well, that's just one example, right? But I think the, part of the problem is it's like is it's been a developing issue because if I think about it, it even goes back to even how Destiny Two launched. Because like I, I reflect on Destiny 1 and what I fell in love with. And that's the thing. Like I didn't love Destiny for its campaign. Like I liked the campaign. I really did. But when it really clicked for me, when I really got Destiny, was the first time we were doing Endgame Strikes Nightfall. And again, it's like so much of the stuff that matters now didn't matter then. It was just like, like the no, most- No, it did matter. Had- we just got- No, no, no. It did matter. We got our asses carried. That's what happened. And we didn't have all that stuff, and we had not we strikes. had a couple friends who not did in strikes, not in strikes. I'm a nightfall. Strikes. We did. I remember doing a nightfall, and I remember you and I getting hard carried by somebody who was playing and had all of the meta figured out, and we just had no idea at that point, and we got carried. I only remember that with. Um some of the 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 raids but even then i felt like the raids were even different but anyway we could debate anyway. when it's just us two uh we can we can debate this later i think so i'm of the opinion that for for live service games and for for player versus player game the the way that developers have taken to tweaking nerfing etc is long-term beneficial to the community. Um, as Seamus mentioned before, I think Blizzard does a good job. I play a lot of Overwatch and Blizzard does a good job of subtly shifting what the the meta over the course of months and months rather than just being like, here's the nerf hammer. Like, all your favorite characters are nerfed. Um. Uh- Although, if I could sort of support Chris's problems with the metagame here. Now, I'm not a fan of live service games for the most part. And the meta is kind of why. It feels like, I mean, I should like Destiny. I like Borderlands 2. And Destiny is basically a lot like Borderlands 2, except with other people. That should be cool. But there is this sensation. when You know, I'm not reading the forums. I'm not there paying attention. And so you have this nagging feeling that I'm not reading the wiki and the forums. Therefore, I am playing suboptimally. I'm missing out. Everybody else is doing so much better than me because I'm not putting in the due diligence and doing the research. Now, maybe that's not true. I mean, this is quite possibly just my own anxiety. But you start to worry, like, should I be paying attention to that stuff? Am I wasting my time? What am I supposed to be doing? It's like instead of the intended gameplay being within the game, it's all in the forums where everybody's explaining, no, we'll combine this gun with this fancy hat and you'll just mow through everything. And it's like, oh, I, I, I didn't know. I, I got that hat. I sold it because I, yeah. I wanted the sombrero or whatever. Right, sombreros. Yeah. Those are pretty popular in Destiny, right? Oh, yeah, everybody wears sombreros, man. <laughs> right. But, you know, it's like, oh, I, I, I got that weapon or whatever. I, I yeah. sold it. I didn't realize its potential. And 
And then you just sort of like feel this guilt, like I really need to be keeping up on this, but the game already takes enough time as it is. Yeah, and I don't right. want to. Well, know, that's I one of the things I wanted to research. ask you. Like, did you run into this? Cause you've played a lot of MMOs. Um, I, the, my only exposure to MMOs is the original planet side and, uh, a brief period of time in final fantasy 14 before I had to interact with humans. Um, right. And for me, I'm not familiar with anything akin to a meta in MMOs, but I do know, like, I've, I had, like, a, every one of my friends in college played World of Warcraft, and I'm familiar with Leroy Jenkins and some of those jokes, and my understanding is you will have groups go on these raids and stuff where it's like, what you're not playing this way and this way and this way. So does the idea of the meta seem to exist in MMOs? And if it does, does it also seem to be encouraged by the developers? Like do the developers basically kind of piece it together? So, cause it feels to me again, like maybe this isn't true at this point. Maybe they are trying to at Bungie, formulate the gear so it's like okay now we're going to give you more options for customizing your own gear so you can play how you want instead of playing the way we want even though they kind of encourage you to use specific weapons anyway um like here's the one thing you should be grinding for this season yeah so yeah is there stuff that you've encountered in mmos that are like that like because i know mo- like you've played like lord of the rings online you've played black desert online a bit you've played of course world of warcraft and i feel like there's plenty of that i'm forgetting but right right um lord of the rings online i never got the impression I mean, now this might be a reflection of the community itself because lord of the rings online when i played it was a super anomaly it was like <laughs> imagine Imagine, like, a World of Warcraft role-playing server, only more so. Like, everybody that is there trying to, like, role-play and have fun, and they're into the story, and nobody's there, like, grinding for fat loot and gear and talking about optimal loadouts. What a bunch of weirdos. I know, right? (laughs) Um, So, but Lord of the Rings Online was such a bizarre outlier but in world of warcraft i would run into people i was in a what do you call it a guild yes a guild for a while and you know i'd constantly have people be like what wait you're level 50 why are you wearing that and i'm like i mean the real answer is everything else looks stupid um (laughs) but i didn't want to say that it's like oh you know i haven't found anything better oh you've been so unlucky you need to get this you should definitely you You've been running this, you know, you've been running the hellhole dungeon, haven't you? You've been doing that miserable dungeon that everybody hates. You've been running that at least three times a night. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm doing that. Oh, well, you should get this drop soon. So, yeah, I did run into a bit of that in World of Warcraft. And I sort of filtered it out. A lot of people were, like, grinding to get to the end game where the game really starts. And I was just playing to see all the cool stuff. So like for Mm. me, the first 40 levels were the game and for everybody else, it's like it, the game doesn't start until you hit 60. 
Yeah. That's well. That's the funny thing because I didn't actually get that until I played Destiny. So I like I remember for the longest time being like, "Why would you play a game like that? Why would you play a game that's not fun until you get to the end game?" And then I played Destiny, and again we hit the those those harder strikes. We hit some of the um like we I think we did a lot of the raids late. Um, and I know by time the last one, Wrath of the Machine came around, me and Nolan I think were playing more, but like. When we started doing that stuff, it's like, oh, this is what they meant. Um, but that's the thing, because even then, like, I think of... Because, again, like, Steve, you, in some ways, you bring up a good point that this is a live service game. They want people to keep coming back, to keep playing, to keep spending money on it. At the same time, I was just watching Skill Up's review of, or at least preview, of the Diablo 2 remaster. And he mentioned, like, people played, like, Diablo 2 for thousands of hours or, like, hundreds of hours. And I think that that's actually something that is a whole big thing, too. Because on one hand, I'm like, dude, yeah, once upon a time, we were able to play games over and over again and not need patches to keep them interesting. It was yeah, a matter of just... called college mm -hmm. or yeah. high school. <laughs> It's like, yeah, that's yeah. part of it too. It's like part of it is a college and high school, but part of it is also just making a game that you're going to usually have a smaller audience, but every, I think everyone's got that game they come back to. Seamus, if I'm not wrong, you've gone back and put a lot of hours into the Batman Arkham games. Yeah. Yeah. I've played through it a lot of times. Um, and you've done all the challenges and stuff too, right? Or most right. of the challenges. It, all of them, but one. All but Joker. one. Oh, the Joker's Funhouse is a bit too... I've come so close. But you're gonna have to, you have to maintain a combo for 20 minutes. Oh! And I've, and I've come so close. I mean, literally, I was within 15 seconds when I screwed it up. But that's the thing. It's a system that has that mastery that, like... And you're not the only person I know that's been like that. Like, I like the Batman Arkham games. I don't love the combat. But... Right. I understand the appeal for a lot of people to go in and just, you know, just put hours into not just playing the campaign, uh, but then going in and playing like all the challenges and getting the max rank on all the challenges and stuff. So this is the game that made me appreciate doing that. I was never into that until this game. And that's the yeah. thing. Like there's and one of my again, I, I'm talking about Capcom, the Devil May Cry series. Um those are games where they not only have the ranking on multiple tiers of difficulties, but like when you go from like the bottom two difficulty levels in Devil May Cry, at least in Devil May Cry 5, are just like this is your first time playing. Uh, if you're experienced with these games, a video game, yeah, yeah, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like if this is your if you're not very good with these games. Play on human difficulty. If you've played action games before, play on Devil Hunter. And then once oh, you, I like that they call it human difficult. I always hate <laughs> when I know I need to be playing, you know, and it's like it's like loser difficulty. And I'm like, I know, I don't know, I should me. play on. Like, yeah, I, I yeah I don't hurt me, loser. I think the original yeah. Ninja Gaiden was like, oh, you're going to play on Ninja Dog difficulty. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know you should, but you really don't want to. Um, oh no, dude! Ninja Gaiden Two was the worst because I was like, I'm going to play on the original difficulty. I can't remember what level I quit, but I was like, I am 
just I can't do this. I gotta go. I gotta drop down. But I had to restart, and restarting at the lower difficulty, I could see where they changed enemies to be weaker or reduced the number. And it's like, dude, this is even this is like salt on the wound. Like, come on, what are you doing to me? <laughs> I just wanted to take less damage, you. man. I just wanted to less damage. But that's um. Well, but no, it's, like it's like. They, 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 you miss a guy and he like five seconds later throws himself on the ground like a stuntman. <laughs> like, oh, oh, you got me. You got me. You're so good. But you have, um, it's, it's, it's it, different. It's different models, right? Of, of engagement. So one model of engagement is you have, you have challenges built into the game that we're going to do this again, but harder. Now we're going to do it again, but like way harder. And with enemies um, mixed up, because that's what I was getting versus, to. Don't right. five higher difficulties. You start running into late game enemies right in the beginning, so they change even that up to help right. freshen the experience and make it. And of course, you're still score chasing. So it's like, can you get S rank on every map on this difficulty until you get to Dante Must Die, um, the Heaven or Hell mode, the Hell or Hell mode, like yeah. And then and then you have also like. The, the Devil May Cry games also sort of integrated some of this stuff where they give you weapons that you don't really need um, and things like that where that becomes a way to call, okay, I'm going to come back and this time I'm going to mostly use the nunchucks um, yeah. and not the sword or whatever. Um, so like, and then, or then you have something, you know, like, a, you know, Borderlands or Diablo where part of the engagement is is the loot where it's like oh like i you know got this really sick sword or like i got this really you know these really cool guns like i want to you know play through again and see what ridiculous guns i get this time that you know melt people and quack like a duck or whatever like you know um and so i think it it is like I think there's a place for a lot of different types of games to appeal to a lot of different types of people where I've never been. There's only a handful of games I've really come back to on higher difficulties or, or, or to do challenges. So like Arkham, um, Arkham Knight is one. I did everything in that game except for like two Riddler challenges um, yeah. Meanwhile, I'm the kind of person that will go back to, uh, especially in the 2D realm, like the Metroid games. I'll go back like almost annually to a Metroid game or now, like I, even though I beat Bloodstained, what, 2019, I just went back and I was like, you know what's going to come off Game Pass? Let me go replay Bloodstained start to finish. Um, I started replaying Hollow Knight and I, now that I've played Toho Luna Knights and the Record of Lotus War game, I'm probably going to come back to those reg regularly. And I got my SNES Classic hooked up now, so it's like, oh, time for another Super Metroid replay. So it's like everyone's got their games that for whatever reason they go back to. And like again, like it's Resident like, Evil's like I, Sorry, like I was yeah. saying, like I have a friend who rewatches um all three Lord of the Rings extended editions. Every year, among other things, he has like a list of movies he rewatches every year. And sort of like that. For some people, that's that's games. That's like instead of spending twelve hours watching Lord of the Rings, I'm every year I'm gonna come back and replay, 
you know, Symphony of the Night or or any of the th- any things that you listed too. Like that's another. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're just all different ways of it engaging players, um, and so, different. I guess different things hook different people. Yeah. You know? So I guess to go back a little bit, like for me, it's like by changing a live service game, you change the approach to that game by changing the rules of the game you change the approach to it and i think that's one of the things that i find frustrating because i feel like i understand if you want a game that's going to keep having new content you want the con- like for me i would rather the content be fresh not the rule set be fresh and why not both because what if i fell in love with one rule set and then one rule se- the next rule set appeals to me less there is something lost for me then. Some other people might gain something, but there might be something lost for me because like, do I like what I loved about destiny was it's like a distillation of what I loved about the entire halo franchise, be it the campaign or the firefight mode kind of a thing or, or the different difficulty levels. That's what destiny was. And they keep changing that they've become less, Halo in a lot of ways, despite there still being a core there, a heartbeat there. But at this point, it's like, man, I kind of just want another Halo instead. Um, not literally because they haven't made a good one for a while. Um, but, but you want something else that'll scratch that, that feels like that. Yeah. But again, there's also another element that I was working towards, which is again, like people used to put like hundreds of hours, something like Diablo, but I think there's also this element in the live service. And even Destiny community that views these individual games as hobby in a weird way because on the Reddit, on the Destiny Reddit, well, not the official Destiny Reddit, the community Reddit, um, I saw a post that was like making a mockery of people calling Outriders a Destiny killer. Now, I've never heard this, but I'm off social media, so who knows? I've never even heard of Outriders. Really? It's maybe I've heard the name, but I couldn't tell you like when did it come out? It was a Square Enix public. It was actually April first. It came out. Square people Enix published can fly. title. It, yeah, people can it's, fly develop game. Which see, it's it's funny because we discussed it a little bit on the okay. previous podcast. It's people can fly, and there's elements of that you know craziness there that you'd expect with the people can fly game. But at the same time, especially the painkiller guys, right? Yes, painkiller, and I believe Bulletstorm. Yeah. Wait, no, was it Bulletstorm? Bulletstorm. Bulletstorm. Yeah. So the 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 difference is the story seems to just take itself way too seriously, and that's oh, especially no. unfortunate thing. No, Bulletstorm was wonderful because it didn't take itself real exactly. Seriously. I love that. So I, I've gotten a little. I've gotten a little further to Outriders. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. Whether they're taking it seriously or they're just like they're just like Leslie Nielsening too hard. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll have like, to see. I d I haven't gotten to play it much since then. But, but it is like it's it's like too serious. It's like, <laughs> don't you realize you have a responsibility as one of the transformed? You're like a god to these people. Like, don't oh, you want? Gosh. I was like, it's so over the like. I don't know. 
But anyway, so you were saying... I do, need to, I do need to play more of that. But, like, on this Reddit thread, though, it's, like, somewhat... Like, they're mocking the idea of Outriders being a Destiny killer. Because it is a loot-based kind of shoot-hands right, game. Right, because, because Outriders only has, like, a few hundred 400 hours. Yeah, it's like, yeah, this of- game only has... It's vanilla base, right? They don't know if they're going to do expansions yet, but they're like, if we do expansions, it's not going to be like a roadmap. It's not going to be a seasonal. We're just going to have chunky expansions, which that's what I want Destiny to do. I love that idea. But it's this like this idea that someone's like, oh, yeah, I mean, this isn't a Destiny killer because it's base vanilla version. It's like it only has 400 hours of gameplay in it. And I'm like, what do you what do you mean only? What do you mean only? Like for me, like 40 hours is a little too long That's for me. Like it's 10 weeks. That's 10 weeks as a, at a full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. You're right. 10 weeks at a full-time job, which I don't know. I guess maybe some of these kids play it that way. Like two and a half months of your life oh at a full-time goodness. job. <laughs> And that's also, again, like, what's the beauty of um, Final Fantasy XIV? Final Fantasy XIV releases an expansion. is like, we know most of you are going to play this for just a couple of months and then be gone. That's cool. Because we, we at Square Enix release other video games we want you to buy. So it's like this, uh, I don't know. Like, that, that's partially where I guess I don't get the games of service community either. Where people want these games to be a hobby. And the developers want the game to be a hobby. And I'm just like, sorry, man. I just I play games plural, but right. That's As somebody who writes about games. I need to play more than one. Yeah. It's like, Welcome to week ten of my Destiny podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> nobody's listening now. You're talking to yourself. Factorio, on the other hand, I do yeah. have a multi-part series on Factorio <laughs> coming up. <laughs> no joke. But uh. No, yeah, I, I, defi- I, I definitely feel you on on the on on this whole this. It's again, I have mixed feelings. So, like something like Overwatch as an example, um, which again I play a lot of and nobody else cares about. Um, it's cool. <laughs> uh, the so what so when, when I first started playing, like so again talking about like the way they shift metas and they're constantly changing the game. Um, my f- my favorite character, just on a variety of levels, was was Reinhardt, the giant German dude in power armor and a rocket hammer. Um, that just really spoke to me on some kind of level. He loves David Hasselhoff. Um, it's a spiritual connection. There yeah. was there's sort of a spiritual connection between myself and Reinhardt. So Reinhardt was like getting crapped on by all of the other tank characters. Um, but I, I liked playing him anyway, but I could tell that I felt inferior in matches to what was what I didn't understand at the time, but what was were spam comps. Um, so like Overwatch basically has three different types of of team comps. There's spam, brawl, and dive. Where spam is, we're going to hold this position and just shoot at you until you die. Brawl is, we're going to close the distance and punch you and hit you with hammers until you die. And dive is, we're going to spread the field so you can't shoot all of us at once. 
and then poke at you until you die, uh, more or less. And there's sort of a rock, paper, scissors game around that. Anyway, Reinhardt was trash when I first started playing. Um, now he's like the best tank. And they're about to start rolling in some slow nerfs, I think, on Reinhardt and some slow buffs on the other tanks. Um, but it makes it fun to play because if they had just left it as it was when I started, I probably would have quit because the character I like playing the most was weak. But they've sort of rolled him up in one way and they're going to adjust him in different ways to make it interesting to play as that character. And I think that's one thing live service games can do with well done nerfs and buffs and other things and changes to the meta is make different things fun to play. So you talk about Starcraft, like the whatever that like the different races, you know, have different ways of countering each other. You know, you have the Protoss are you know, having 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 a specific unit which is going to cause you trouble. Well, if you buff a certain Terran unit in order to counter that, now you've just sort of changed the game. And when that's well executed by a company, I think you actually do create a fun meta game that shifts just enough to keep players engaged to not let one thing be awesome and another thing be crappy for too long because we didn't used to be able to do this. Like the original Starcraft Zerg rush, like there wasn't the same sort of live service model where we're like, okay, we're going to shift this next season and, and make Zerg rush less effective. It was just like, Oh, well, this is the game right forever. Right. <laughs> um, right. And so I, I think there is a positive aspect to the fact that we can, Developers get to see, okay, we didn't get it perfect the first time around. So, and and again, like StarCraft is again, people played the original StarCraft for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours. Um, but right, where there's, there's a way where you can take something away, you can take somebody's fun away, but then you also make it fun for somebody else in a different way. And I think when executed well the metagame actually really is a, a good thing um, and, and shifting it can be really beneficial to players who want to play the same game, who don't want to quit because it's not fun anymore. See, I guess to try and put a conclusion on this, because I, what I feel like you're talking about isn't, shouldn't be considered the meta even, because again, this is most effect, uh, efficient, Tactics available. Well, no, that's again. That's but a backronym. Instead of that, instead We're, of that, I think it's just balancing, balancing so that everything has a counter to it, and everything has an advantage and disadvantage. And if something's overpowered, then yes, you reduce its power. But it shouldn't be about okay, we lost the Zerg rush. What's the next overbuffed or exploitable option available? Or the developer changing what is the most effective intentionally. It should just be an attempt to, you know, Thanos balance meme, right? Right? It should be the Thanos balance meme, you know, as all things should be. Well, so again, so it's, but it's the difference between the 
the real meta game, which is just the game played outside of the game, the game played, you know, before you spawn or whatever, and the what you're the most efficient tactics available, which I do agree is is kind of lame in a lot of ways. Um, I like the I like the idea of balancing the meta game. I don't like the idea of an overwhelming necessary most efficient tactics available. The concern that there's a single answer to that. If there are a handful of them, then that's probably a good sign. If there's just one, that's probably a bad sign. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we could stick a fork in that topic. Um, especially as I'm reminded that I actually stopped playing Planet Side when they decided to uh buff pistols and all of a sudden everything else was no longer any good. Uh so there's an example of patches uh, undoing the fun in the game for me. But mm. oh yeah, collapsing the entire game onto a pistol. <laughs> that's, that's how it felt. I remember like just getting into like these duels with guys, full health, everything, hitting everything, like all of my machine gun shots, hitting them in the head, and yet I still lose to a pistol. I mean, it sounds kind of like Halo One Slayer, but I was just about—I was <laughs> just about to say—I remember people complaining that Halo One that uh, the pistol was the best sniper rifle. Um, I mean, the sniper rifle was a good sniper rifle, but I guess because the pistol had like you could like three tap rounds. people, you could like three tap people with a pistol, and you could shoot it like, yeah, the pistol was nasty in the original Halo. I also didn't care for the PvP in Halo. I thought it was, like, no big deal. My feelings towards the PvP in Halo are my same towards the feelings of PvP in GoldenEye, which is... And this is, again, I'm mostly a console gamer, but my feeling was, you guys wouldn't care if you were playing Quake, because Quake is better. All right, the PvP in GoldenEye (laughs) was was trash. Yes. Um, It's impossible to play anymore. Like, I don't say it was trash. It, It was... It was no, it was. For, you were right the first time. It, there was nothing else like it. You could not play anything else. Four players, split screen, you know, get all your friends together, have a pizza, and play GoldenEye. That was there specifically was a first-person shooter. Right. FP for a first-person shooter. Because we're talking about the like system. That. We're talking about the system with Mario Kart 64, Star Fox 64, you know, Donkey Kong Racing, and Smash Brothers. For shooters, there was nothing else at the time. <laughs> um, obviously, every you know Mario Kart is Mario Kart. Anyway, I actually think there are some really great map designs in the original Halo multiplayer, but that's a topic for another day. All right. Um, so, Seamus, did you have any final thoughts you wanted to give us? Seamus Young's words of wisdom. Um, nerf Zerg now. <laughs> <laughs> but where where can people that might not be coming to this podcast from your blog already, where can they find your work? SeamusYoung.com. And just go there, you'll figure it out. It's, there's some links, it links to a blog. I've written a bunch of words. And you can read them. And then you'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> 
You've also written a bunch of words in actual book form. What if I can't read? Um, well, then I guess just stick to the podcast. It's yeah. probably awesome. <laughs> <strategy. laughs> However you found it. Speaking of writing a bunch of words, I am right now looking at the total on my Mass Effect series. 193,412 words. Oh my that, goodness. How many pages is, is that going to be? Um, right now it's 875. Holy that, moly. That is a doorstopper. Um, yeah. So, so there's that. I apparently had a lot to say on Mass Effect. Oh my goodness. That's yeah. going to be big. Yeah. I recommend the ebook version. <laughs> oh no no i ha- I have to have that weighing down a bookshelf like by itself i need to have like a bookshelf <laughs> just that on it and the shelf bending downwards with the weight of the <laughs> right. book um but no i'm actually looking forward to that is it still called mess effect still called mess effect if i get this done oh my goodness there i underestimated how much time it takes to prepare a printed book Ebook has been done for weeks, but my goodness, printing books is super hard. And what are so, uh, what are those printing books that you've written? Um, you mean what other books have I written? Yes. Okay, my first was fan fiction novel available on my site for free. That's Free Radical. Then a steampunk mystery wizard story in Victorian era called Witch Watch. Then a cyberpunk um, robot mystery novel called The Other Kind of Life. And now I'm publishing Mess Effect. And I am so looking forward to having that. And I'm going to get that physical. I still prefer to read physical. So might want to find out. I don't even know how much it's going to cost, like raw printing. (laughs) It's probably going to be expensive because it's 875 pages and there are 425 images. From actually, no joke though, from what I understand of some, that might be big enough and might, logistically speaking, make more sense to split it up into two, but I don't know how you would do that. Because normally the books that are split up into two are like fiction novels. So it's like, okay, we just split it up into like part one and part two. I could split it up into four, but then they would be four like really lightweight novels, you know, books books, really short. They would feel like young adults books will be like the boss fight books aren't very long um in the final fantasy 5 one is still a good read but no that's i am very much looking forward to that um but all right um uh steve you got any final thoughts um do i have any final thoughts wow no uh I think it was, it was, you know, we had two pretty much completely unrelated topics, but I think we had some good discussion. Thanks to my incredible sagging abilities. Segway. Uh, my, my segue was, um, you know. Uh, you really it, leaned it a, into that segue. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, Seamus, uh, definitely good talking to you again. Thanks a bunch. So, yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, so Chris, I guess you can close uh, us play out. us out. All right. Um, well, I will say because again, we have people that don't normally come around these parts. Um, 
As you should know, considering Seamus would have linked you here, ramblepack64.com is my website. And I think the last time you linked me, I had a whole horde of people checking the YouTube somehow. I haven't updated that in like almost a year now. I don't know when the next update is coming. Um, that's kind of in limbo right now. I have been streaming on Twitch. And I've actually, surprise, surprise, come to really enjoy that. So you can also find me at twitch.tv slash ramblepack64. I am far more unfiltered there, and I often have a very specific group of friends that might not be everyone's cup of humor tea, but I try and do my best to keep, like, a good, you know, fun, lighthearted experience, and every once in a while I break out my Gollum impersonation. So, you can check that stuff out. Thanks, everyone, for, for, for joining, for listening, and I hope, Seamus, we can have you on again uh, sooner rather than later, because I love sure I love this conversation. It was a very different dynamic, and it was nice having backup when it came to the meta discussions. <laughs> Normally, our friend <laughs> Nolan is like, he's a, he's, a, he's a wild card, and usually it feels like he's on Steve's side, just because it amuses him. So, <laughs> all right. Thank you, everyone, for joining, and I hope you all have a good night. <laughs> <laughs>